Hello, good morning, church. Hi. I just want to let you guys know that it, God is doing something really exciting. I cannot, I cannot get the word out of my head. Uh, before I start my sermon, right, let me share with you guys. Just two nights ago, uh, on Friday, after my Young Working Adults Leaders meeting, uh, Pastor Gim, myself, Pastor Andrew, and our CP Ben, uh, we were walking back to our church, uh, to the church office for our debrief. And we saw around 70 to 80 Kus youth gathering outside the atrium, singing, How Great Is Our God. They were just praying and worshipping. And they met for their youth prayer night on Friday. And at the same time on Friday morning, Reverend Chris, uh, he felt led to go to St. Andrew's Cathedral to pray for the diocese. And he just sent out a text and gathered the youth pastoral team from both our Mandarin and our English side to meet at St. Andrew's Cathedral to pray. And the youth team in St. Andrew's Cathedral also joined in, and a few of our KUS members joined in to pray, and the presence of God was so strong in that place on Friday morning. And last week, Pastor Andrew shared with us about this revival that is happening in Asbury, Kentucky. Can you guys remember? Right, it, happened, it actually happened in a, in a normal chapel service on the 8th of February, and right now it is still ongoing. You know what started this revival happened when a group of students just stayed back in chapel and they gathered to pray. And it led to one of them confessing the sins of his life as God's conviction gripped that person's heart. And let me quote the words of one of the students at the revival when he was interviewed by the media. And he said this, During a call of confession, at least a hundred people fell to their knees and bowed at the altar. Hands rested on the shoulders, linking individual people together to represent the body of Christ. I want you guys to know that something is happening around the world. Hearts are being revived. And throughout history, revival must always come with a submission to authority. Whose authority? Is it your authority? No, right? It's a rhetorical question. It's God's authority. And revival comes when we submit to God. And speaking of authority, well, I'd like to begin my sermon with a story that I've heard recently. Now, there is a couple who have two boys, right, aged about 8 and 10 years old, and both boys are super mischievous, very, very naughty. They never submit to authority, whether it's their parents or their teachers. And they are, they, they, they are always getting into trouble in the town that they live in. And one offense that they always commit is stealing. They love to steal things. And their parents are at their wit's end. So what to do? They don't know what to do with their son's behavior. But they found out that there is a pastor who, who has a very good reputation of disciplining children. So they brought their kids to the pastor, and the pastor said, I'll meet your kids separately. So first, the pastor met the eight-year-old. And the pastor sat the kid down, and he said to him, So, where is God? The kid just looked at the pastor and like, what are you talking about? So there's no response. Of which the pastor asked the question again, but this time with a louder, more, a sterner voice. So, where is God? Again, there was no reply. So for the third time, the pastor raised his voice even more, and then he put his fist in front of the boy's face and said, So, where is God? And the boy was terrified, and he dashed out of the room, and he ran straight home, and he hid in his closet. 
The older brother caught up with him, came back home, went into the closet. They both sat down in the closet and the older brother said, Bro, what happened? Why are you so scared? And the younger brother said this, Daila, I think we are in serious trouble. God is missing. And I think they think that we stole him. <laughs> you know, when I heard this story, I giggled a little bit, but I resonated with it a lot. You know why? Because I too was the eight-year-old boy. I was a terrible kid when I was in primary school. I was what my teacher used to call me, this, this smart gangster. Basically, I study very hard at home. I get all the fantastic grades in my class tests and exams. I taught my class. But I never really listened in class. You know why? Because I find school immensely boring. Now, if there are children here, do not follow my footsteps. All right? I say again, do not follow my footsteps. Okay? Don't get me into trouble. But when I was young, I find primary school really boring. So I end up stealing things in school. I steal a lot of things. And I did not, I did, I did not steal God, right? but I, I, I stole many things. And I used to be really, really big and obese because I love to eat. I eat a lot. I still eat a lot right now, just that I exercise. So when I was in primary school, during recess time, I will always go down. You know, in my, in my time, they sell this shredded chicken in those chili oil. And then they, 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 they put it in this small packet. And then there's a wooden stick for you to poke. And then you eat. So every day during recess, I will go there and I'll steal a few packets. I'll just take and I'll go. And I'll steal their corn crackers that my, the, the, the canteen auntie still, uh, sells. And I, I, I never get caught. And I, I don't know very much, very much about authority during that time. Or maybe I should say I don't really care much about authority. But in the end, I ended up being caned being publicly caned in front of my school by my principal. And during my time, I think it was still allowed. I don't think, I don't really know, I don't think now it's allowed, right? And my mom used to play catching with me every week at home. You know why? Because we will run around the dining table, right? She will hold a cane and she will do this. She will try to cane me. But the thing started to change when I met my chaplain in my school. And somehow I ended up going to her office every single day during recess time. Then instead of stealing things, I read the Bible with her. And now I'm a pastor. You see, if you don't submit to the right authority, we will be king of our own lives, isn't it? And when we become king of our own lives, we will then become rebellious. And so today I wish to talk to us about letting God be our king. Can I have the slide? Right, letting God be our king. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, let God be your king. Right, we are in the fifth installment in our covenant series. And last week, Pastor Andrew, he shared with us the heart of the covenant. Right? That the real purpose for us to enter into a covenantal relationship with God is love. Right? To love one another, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another. And Pastor Andrew went on to tell us about the benefits of the covenant, right? Where it fulfills God's love for us. Where we, and in turn, the world, will be blessed. But he ended off with this question. Did the Israelites succeed in keeping the covenant they made with God? 
right? They, were, they have said a resounding yes at the foot of Mount Sinai, correct? Right? But did they keep to their word? We all know the answer, right? The answer is no, they did not. So today I would like to pick up from where we have left off last week, and we are going to find out why the people of Israel did not succeed in keeping the covenant they made with God. Now the scripture text for today is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 8, but before we read 1 Samuel chapter 8, well, I would like to bring us back one chapter to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, God is already their king. Right? The people of Israel saw God as their king. And here we got to see the leadership of Samuel at his very best. Right? Samuel had preached repentance to the people of Israel. And the people repented. Samuel cried out to the Lord for the people of Israel. And the Philistines' forces have been vanquished. Right, and after all these victories, it was said in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and he called his name Ebenezer, which means God is our helper. And this stone basically it marks God's goodness and faithfulness over the people of Israel. That he is their helper, he is their deliverer. Right, it reminds them. It was a time when Israel prospered. And the people of Israel, they should have been extremely joyful because God himself guided and protected them. But apparently, it was not enough for them. So with that in mind, would you turn with me to your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Well, I'm going to be really ambitious today. I'm going to try something new. Well, I would like us to read the whole chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 8. And I would like us to stand. Right, can you stand? Right, it's gonna, there's a total of 22 verses, all right? So I think your blood needs to flow a bit. All right, so let's stand as we read God's Word together. Can? All right? I'm reading out of the ESV version. You can follow along in the slides. 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1, 2, 3. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, This will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plough his ground and to reap his harvest. 
and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tent of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, so that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? All right? Let's commit this time to him. <clears throat> Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, be pleasing to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you have your way in this place. Lord, let the words that will be said today not return to you void. Father, let our hearts be open even as we hear from you today. So Holy Spirit, we honour you. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. 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 Now, 1 Samuel describes the leadership transition in Israel from judges to kings. And Samuel had the distinction of being the last judge of Israel. And also, he's the first prophet of Israel. And at this point in history, Israel had settled in the promised land. They did not have a king that reigned over them. And the reason why they did not have a king is because they did not, they did not need it at all. They had judges. They are judges that were raised by God himself, and he protected them at all times. And you can see this in Judges 2.18. Right, uh, it says that the Lord raised up judges for them. The Lord was with the judge, and he delivered them out from the hand of their enemies. So during that time, God was their king. But then the tide began to shift. When we come to chapter 8, the people of Israel started to take things into their own hands instead of fully trusting God. And for the sake of our study in, uh, of, of 1 Samuel chapter 8, I divided the scripture into four headings for us. All right? They all begin with the letter R. All right? eh? They all begin with the letter R. So I hope that it's easier for, you, for all of you to remember. All right? Request for change. Respond in godly prayer. Retributive justice. And remove stubbornness of heart. Let's start with the first heading, request for change. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you realize that Samuel is no longer in his glorious days. He's not as fit as ever. But now Samuel has become old. Well, at least that's what the elders of Israel believe it to be. Right? He told them, in, uh, they told, uh, it's said in verse 4, that said, uh, they went, they traveled to Samuel's hometown in Ramah and he said to him, Samuel, 
you are old. Now, husbands, please do not say this to your wife. All right? Those of you who have girlfriends, please also don't tell them that you are old. Gentlemen, don't say that to a lady that she is old. I think it's quite odd, right? It's quite rude. But the elders told Samuel, Samuel, you are old. And these are the two factors, there are two factors which contributed to this desire for a human king. And the first of the two is that Samuel became old. Now, age is a very natural occurrence, right, to all of us. All of us will become old one day. You know, the other day on my Facebook page, there's this photo that popped up of me 12 years ago. So I looked at my photo and I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought to myself, hmm, I think nothing much has changed, lah. Other than my size, you know. Now I often tell my wife, you know, I want to remain as uh, fit. If not fitter than than when I was in my twenties, and of which my wife will usually tell me, "All right, Chris, you can continue to deceive yourself." Because at the end of the day, all of us will become old, right? The leaders who have led in their earlier years. They were faithful in their middle years. They will eventually become old. And the real challenge of, of course, in becoming old is that age brings with it not just advantages, but disadvantages. It brings with it the benefit of experience, which is very important for our younger, younger generation to glean and to learn from. But it also brings with it the danger of becoming old, jaded, cold, very settled in your ways, very fixated in your ways. And the elders of Israel probably felt that it's time for Samuel to be replaced. So the first reason for change is that Samuel is old. And the second is that his succession plan actually is horrible. It says in verse 4, right, your sons, Samuel, do not walk in your ways. And at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 8, we are told that Samuel appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Now, it's very important for us to know, it's very important for us to know this fact, that although the priesthood was hereditary, right, the appointing of judges was not. In the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel, you, you have read about the priest Eli. Now, he would be followed by his sons because the priesthood was hereditary. But for judges, it should not be the case. But Samuel's, Samuel decided to appoint his sons as judges. And it's con, uh, as you continue to read 1 Samuel chapter 8, you realize that Samuel's sons, they worked in Bathsheba. And Bathsheba is a significant way down south from where Samuel uh, lived. They were a long way from Samuel, a long way from Samuel's ability to watch over them. And we were told that their, his sons were greedy and they were on the take. They were only interested in money and profit-making, and they took bribes and perverted justice. This is why the situation is building up for a time of change, because the peace, the security, the prosperity that Israel had known is clearly not guaranteed anymore. And it led to the elders requesting Samuel, please, can you just appoint us a human king to rule over us, just like all the nations? And as mentioned earlier, Samuel was the last judge of Israel before a transition to a monarchy being ruled by a human king. And this transition from judges to kingship actually rests upon a very common, a common refrain that runs through the whole book of Judges. And that is this, 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his eyes. You can see it all uh, in the verses that are done in this slide for you. All right, Judges 17, 6, 18, 1, 19, 1, and finally Judges 21, verse 25. In the time of Judges, it was a system whereby God directly appointed a judge to rule over the people of Israel. And the system actually worked for a while, but it eventually collapsed. So the, the notion of the elders having in their minds, right, of having a king to rule over them is actually perfectly understandable. Why not put in place a monarchy where there will be someone who can rule over us, someone that can protect and govern us? In fact, it is not wrong for Israel to have a king because Moses has anticipated this day to come. Right? He spoke to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is Moses speaking to the people. Right? When you come to the land that is the promised land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. So in the first place, it is not wrong to desire a king because God planned, God planned to give Israel a king. When you read on in Deuteronomy 17, you will realize that God prescribed the exact nature and way in which this kingly rule would be put in place. But it is the way in which the people of Israel go about asking for a king that revealed that they want to take things into their own hands instead of trusting God. In fact, prior to 1 Samuel, right, in the book of Judges, there have been moments that it borderlines on the brink of establishing a monarchy. The people of Israel have repeated the same mistakes. In Judges 8, the people actually spoke to Gideon. They say, Gideon, rule over us. You, your son, and your grandsons, please just rule over us because you have saved us from the hand of the Midians. Now, do you realize what the people of Israel were saying? They say, Gideon, rule over us, your son, your grandson. Now, remember what I said again? That the priesthood is hereditary, but the appointing of judges was not. So, what the people are actually saying is, we don't care. We just want you, Gideon, because you have saved us. Wrong! Right? Gideon was involved in the great victory that resulted in the defeat of the Midianites. But it was God. It was God who intervened. It was God who saved them. And what was Gideon's response? Gideon, Gideon knew this. He said, it's not him. Gideon said to the people, I will not rule over you. And my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. God is king. Now how quickly the people of Israel run to a man, to a successful leader. And the Bible is very clear for us not to do so. Didn't it say in Psalms, to not put your trust in princes, right, in mortals, to not put your trust in horses and chariots, but to put your trust in the Lord. But yet the people of Israel did not do so. And from verses 6 to 7 of 1 Samuel 8, we will see Samuel's reaction and God's response under the second header, respond in godly prayer. This thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us, right? Samuel prayed to the Lord. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people. 
in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Samuel was displeased with the people's request. We were not told why was he really displeased. Now, maybe there's some personal element into the feelings of Samuel. He has been judged for them. He has helped them, served them, you know, the, conquered the Philistines, prayed and interceded for them. And now, after many years, he's old. And the people just wants to get rid of him. Right? The people of Israel desire a change. He probably felt discarded, unwanted. So his reaction was one of displeasure. But what did he do? Scripture says that Samuel prayed to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, it is quite challenging for me to pray when, I'm, I'm, when I am upset. Oftentimes when I'm upset, right, I tend to let my emotions take over me. I just want to tell people how upset I am. Now, I'm pretty good in complaining and weeping. You know, when faced with negative situations in life, but I'm not so good to run to God in prayer. Do you have the same tendency as I have? That when I am displeased by something, I just want to tell everybody. But not so for Samuel, right? The Bible says he prayed and he sought the Lord. And Samuel's reaction was actually met by God's response. Right? Obey the voice of the people. Give them a king. Give them what they want. They are not rejecting you, Samuel. They are rejecting me. In fact, it is not the first time, right? I'll say this again. It's not the first time that the people of Israel, they have rejected God. Because it says in verse 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 8, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. And the history of the people of Israel certainly confirms this. Right? Do you remember in Exodus 32, when Moses came down from the mountain, right, after meeting with God, what did Moses see? He saw this bunch of people dancing around a golden calf that they have built. The people of Israel rather trust in a, in a God, small letter G, that they have built than to trust in a capital letter God that they, have, that they, that they cannot see. Are there things in your life that sometimes take the place of God. So, Samuel, so God says to Samuel, just give them a king. You know, it is what they want, but there is a condition, right? It says in verse 9, Now then obey their voice, but you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. In Hebrew, the, ways, in Hebrew, the word ways is mishpat. It means judgment, justice. In other words, what God is saying is this. Let the people have the king. You know, they want this king just like all the other nations, right? Give them. But make sure, Samuel, you let them know that there will be a price to pay, that there will be consequence to their actions. What exactly does the people of Israel desire? The desire, the desire of a human king, all right? I want to suggest to us this morning that the desire of a human king it's actually a symbol of their own desire to rule over their own destiny. And what they are actually saying is this, God, we don't want you. God, we don't want. We don't want to be this holy nation. We don't want to be set apart, this royal priesthood. Instead, we want to be the kind of people that can, be, that can conform to the culture of our times, just like everybody else. In other words, we just want to be free from you, God. 
So in verses 10 to 18 of 1 Samuel chapter 8, right under my third header, retributive justice. God is now going to present the people of Israel this whole long list of negative implications of having a human king. He is going to punish them with the experience of getting what they want. Because you see, the Lord's willingness to grant them a human king was actually an act of judgment on his part for their foolish request. He wanted to show them what a burden having an earthly king would be. And then due to time, I'm not going to read the whole order from verses 10 to 18. I've actually extracted a list of things that this human king would do to the people of Israel. Can you see those words in bold? He will take, he will take, he will take your fields, your vineyards, your olive orchards. He will take your sons, right? He will take the tent of your grain. He will take, he will take, he will take. Ah. Do you realize? You notice that this king that the people desires, he'll be someone that is on the take. Instead of serving, he will take. That he will actually do the very thing that Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 to 20 warns against. This king will take your wives, your sons. He's going to tax you. And he's going to make you cry. And the last verse says that you shall be his slaves. And in verse 18, it says, And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So where does the responsibility lie? It lies with the people of Israel. In other words, what God is telling them is, hey guys, welcome back to Egypt. Isn't it? Welcome back to bondage again. And you would think that perhaps, just perhaps, that given all these solemn warnings, right, the people of Israel, they would, they would have reconsidered their actions. But no. Look at verses 19 to 20. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Yes, God, we know, we know. We know that you have brought us through some tough times. But now we want a king that we can see. A king that's like a big champion, tall and dark and handsome and charismatic. One that fits the makeup of a king. The people were stubborn. There is no way to remove the stubbornness of, the heart, of their hearts. That's in the people. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them to the Lord once again. And God just tells Samuel, obey their voice. Give them, make them a king. What future is there in such a monarchy? What future is there in a monarchy that is actually established on the basis of the refusal of the people to listen to the voice of God's servant? In other words, refusing to listen to the voice of God. We all know the answer, right? There is no future at all. And if you read 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10 onwards, God actually, through Samuel, gave them a human king. God gave them Saul, right? Externally, whoo! Externally, Saul is the man, right? The Bible says that there is no one more handsome than Saul. Externally, he fits the bill. 
But we know the outcome. Saul was a terrible king. Now, as you reflect on your life as a Christian this morning, are there times in your life when you just want things your way? Are there times in your life where you simply want to rebel against God? God, I don't want to live under your kingship. I just want to be free to make my own choices. I am my own person, God. And the scary thing that I realize through preparing this sermon is this, that sometimes God will grant us what we desire. God didn't want to tell the people of Israel what to do. He wanted them to understand that their way was just not going to work. That in seeking to be free of Him, this perfect, loving, this wise and generous God, they will live with the implications of their decision. In the, New Te- in the New Testament, in Romans 1 verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God gave every one of us free will. We are free to choose. Either we choose God as our king or we give in to the temptations of this world. And the evil one will always try to recalibrate our thinking in relationship to the world around us. So that every day he's going to say, hey, think about how many people don't believe what you believe. It is okay, lah, just give in. Conform a little bit. And if you choose not to have God as your king, God will simply say, well, go ahead. You can have what you want. You can have what you desire. But today, through this sermon, I hope that we see that the Lord's willingness to grant us our human desire sometimes is actually an act of judgment on His heart. Now, I'm not going to kid all of you. As I was was preparing this sermon, it is a very sobering realization that sometimes when God says yes to you, it is Him actually saying, you know, my child, you can have it your way. But hopefully when you realize that your way simply does not work, you will willingly run back to me. And today I want to leave us with this, with this quote. I'll read it slowly to us. In bondage to the rule of God in our lives, there is perfect freedom. But in rejection to the rule of God in our lives, there is absolute despair. You know, as I was preparing this message, it made me realize that I have been silently rebelling against God. I won't speak for you guys. I'll speak about myself. I felt like I need to share this with all of you. And at the beginning of my sermon, I shared with us, I was a very naughty kid, right? You know, thank God I I have been changed, you know. I hope I'm not as naughty. But as I grow older, I realize that there are more devious signs of rebelliousness in me. There have been many times in these few months that I have been lovingly confronted by well-meaning people, people who really loved me. My wife, my mentors, my peers. No, they will point out areas in my life that need some correction. And one of them is my attitude towards feedbacks that, that has been given to me. Many times, I refuse to act, often sweeping these feedbacks away, and I end up ignoring them, end up forgetting all of them. Then my mentors will repeat again. And then I'll forget again. 
And as I was praying and reflecting upon my life for this sermon, I realized that it's because I simply want to do things my way. And I often justify, justify them with thoughts like, what right do these people have to call out my flaws? Huh? Don't they have flaws? Why don't they take out the huge plank in their eye before trying to take out the speck in my eye? I choose to be my own king. And in doing so, I realize growth, growth is taken away from me because I'm no longer teachable. And I have to come to God in repentance. I have to come face to face with the pride of my heart, the unteachability of my heart. And what I realize is this, if I choose not to do anything about it, life can actually still go on. God will simply say, go ahead. You know, be your own king. I have given you some warning signs, hoping that you turn back. But if you choose to do things your way, go ahead. You know, 1 Samuel chapter 8, it ends with this sentence. Samuel told the men of Israel, go, every man, to his city. Right? You know, in a few minutes after this service, as we dismiss all of you, you're going to live here and you're going back to your homes. Singapore is a city, so there's no other city to go to. But you will go home, right? Some of you, most likely you are going out for lunch, as you do every week. Some of you will probably rush to town, have a family outing, chill with your friends and your loved ones. But this morning, this morning, can I just, can I just share from my heart to all of you that before you leave here, before you live here, would you come and do business with the Lord? Because the truth is this, for our Heavenly Father, His judgments are executed in the frameworks of His mercies. Isn't it? In the same way that we as parents, I have two boys, boisterous, really boisterous boys. In the same way that parents are supposed to discipline our children. Isn't it? Because, because we love them. And God loves us so much. God loves us so much that He is yearning for us to return to Him. In Matthew, in Matthew 27, on the day that Jesus hung on the cross, right? Where He was presented to everyone, a charge against Him. There was this wooden, wooden tablet that is pinned at the back of the cross. What did it say? It says that this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, this statement was meant by the people as a mockery of Jesus, right? Because to the people, Jesus totally does not fit the bill of a king, right? He was born in a manger. He entered the city sitting on a donkey. And instead of ruling, he would say things like, you know, before you be great, right, one must be, become a servant first. So they, the people of Israel, they have their own version of a king. They failed to recognize the true king. So today... Would you realize that God is your king? That we will make a decision to say, God, we will let you be our king. And each week for the past few weeks, right, God has really been doing something in our church. But today I hope we will go one step deeper. And that we will desire revival in our hearts. God, revive me. Revive my heart, Lord. Rule over me, Lord. Rule over my life. Be the one that I surrender to. 
that I pour out my love to. And this morning, as I was praying, there are two groups of people, there are two groups of people that I wish to speak to, speak to this morning. The first group of people are those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus. Now, you have come close, you have been invited to church by your friends, you have heard the gospel preached to you, but you have never made a decision to surrender your life to Christ. You are your own king. But if today, after hearing this message, you say, Pastor Chris, being my own king is not going anywhere for me. I really want to change. Well, I have good news for you. And the good news is Jesus is ready to be your king. Because right now, He is knocking. He is knocking at the door of your heart. Would you let Him in? And if you choose to do so, I would love to pray with you. And the second group of people are those of us. Those of us who have made the decision years ago to give our lives to Christ. But along the way, we have wandered away. That from time to time, you have not walked in obedience to Him. But, you, but instead, you choose to rebel against God. On the outside, nobody knows. Right? You hold yourself well. You function excellently. But on the inside, you know. You know, you know, you know. Something is missing. Now, if you are that person, would you come? Would you come and recommit to Him? Like what I shared with all of you, I know. I know I'm the person that fits this category really well. I would like to join you in prayer. And today, even as the worship team leads us in this song of response, to ask God to reign over us. You know, as we sing this song, those of you, those of you who fit these two groups of people that have just said, if the Holy Spirit touches you, please come. Come, I would like to invite you forward. Our pastors, our team, we will be here to pray with you. Would you stand? Would you stand with me? Father, I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, let the words that have come out of my mouth not return to you void. Lord, help us not to forget. Help us to see the truth in your word. That, God, you long for us to run back to you. The Lord, even as we respond to you, as we sing the lyrics of this song for you to reign over us, Father, I pray, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, for all of us, including myself, that we will run back to you. We will say to you, God, reign over us. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship Him. Thank you, Lord. So reign, please reign in us. Come purify our hearts. We need your touch. Come cleanse us like your blood and send us Like a love and sent us out 
our Holy Communion Week. Right? But can I ask that as a church, you know, we really be intentional this week. We really be intentional to seek God, to really reflect upon our lives in this season of Lent and come back next week as we partake in our family, in God, in the Lord's family meal. Even as Pastor Mark will continue to share, continue the covenant series. He's going to show us that God loves us so much. He's going to give the new covenant. Let me pray for you guys. All right, let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to come back to you. Lord, we want to say to you, Lord, Lord, you reign over our lives, every aspect of our lives. Lord, in areas, God, that we cannot let go, Holy Spirit, give us the strength Give us the strength to say that, Lord, we are willing to put them at the foot of the cross because we can trust in you. 
because you are the same God yesterday, today, forever. Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters into your hands. Lord God, as they leave this place, as they go back to their homes, Lord, let the word, let your word, Lord, continue to dwell in their hearts. Continue to speak to them, Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and your loved ones now and always. Amen. Amen. Service is over. Right, if you need prayer, please come to the front. All right, we'll pray with you. See you next week.